Okay, turning your Bibles to the 84th Psalm, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. And one of the things that, uh, as I was reading this, getting ready, I noticed that the verses where we're starting tonight at verse 11 really has to connect back to verse 10. Why does it have to do that? Well, it starts with the word for. And the word for connects it back before. And this psalmist had told us, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So the next verse, verse 11, tells us why he thinks that way and why he feels that way. Why is he so excited about being a lowly doorkeeper instead of the tents of wickedness, which would be a way of saying what the world has to uh, offer all of us. And so these verses tell us why. Verse 11, for the Lord God, here's why, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. So see how they're connected together. I could be a doorkeeper in the temple, he says, and I would be better off than going out to the world and uh, finding fame and fortune and entertainment and whatever out there. It's better to be with God. It's better to be serving the Lord. In other words, no matter what it is, it's always better. And you can never even come close. Serving the Lord is not just a little bit better than what they have in the world. Remember he said, a thousand days in your courts, better than anything elsewhere. And so uh, we need to get over, as believers, our inferiority complex when it comes to the world. I have watched for years now that whenever anybody like, uh, well, think about a year ago when Kanye West said some things about the Bible and said some things that were a little bit more in line with what we believe, and it's like Christians acted like they were the unpopular girl at school who just got asked to go to the prom with the cool guy. What's wrong with us? And we look around and we think that the world has it all. They've got all the fun. They've got all the money. They've got all the publicity. This psalmist would say, you're a fool for thinking like that. You've got God. And you are serving the king of the universe the creator of all things, the judge of all things, the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present, the one who has given you salvation through his blood, the one who has given you his word, the one who has given you his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, mind you. And you're looking at them like they've got it all, and I'm just a poor, weak, stumbling, wayfaring Christian, how will we ever make it through? Oh, if we only had the bright lights. Oh, if we only had everything that they had. And we've been watching now for decades as churches and so-called pastors who are really entrepreneurs have been doing everything they can to attract the world and imitate the world. And you know what? They have some big churches and they have a lot of influence. But church attendance as a whole over the last 30 years has been going down in the United States of America. They're not making much impact. And granted, neither are we. 
And I wonder if it's because we think that they've got it all. And only if a celebrity would get saved, that would be so cool. Oh, if only the media would decide that they like us. Oh, then we could be one of the cool kids as well. And we've got this horrible, horrible, horrible inferiority complex ruling over us that I think keeps us from really worshiping God and really walking in the power and victory that he wants us to have. Now, can you imagine that Daniel, when he was in uh, the Babylonian Empire and later the Persian Empire, that he ever walked around saying, Oh, I'm just a Jew. Oh, I don't have much of anything. Oh, these people, the Babylonians and the Persians, they just have it all. Do you ever see anything like that? Do you ever see Joseph walking around in Egypt saying, Oh, if only I were an Egyptian, think about how much I could do. Do you ever see that? Do you ever see Paul walking around saying, Oh, if only Caesar would get saved, then we could really do something and really have something here. You don't find anything like that. You find those people walking, and not in arrogance, but they didn't walk in inferiority either. And that's why Paul could say, whether he was in prison or not, if God be for us, then who could be against us? And that was a very defiant, and uh, the Romans might take it as a subversive statement. Are you saying, prisoner, that there's someone greater than our Lord Caesar? And Paul would say, definitely, yes. You could lose your head over that. And Paul would say, take it, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You have no power over me and over what really matters. When you think about the verses in the scripture that talk about the nations rise and nations fall, kings are raised up and kings are replaced by the will of God. When you think about God being the blessed controller of all things and everything is moving toward that climactic moment when the Lord Jesus is going to return and rule and reign and nobody can stop him and nobody can hinder him and nobody can put him off, then why are you hanging your head when things go wrong in the government? Why in the world do we despair whenever we see what's going on in our country? Isn't that what the Bible says? In the last days, perilous. Did you hear that? Perilous times shall come. And yet we act as though we've been defeated. We act as though God has fallen off the throne. We act as though that we don't have a favorable president and a favorable Congress to make favorable laws toward us that our cause is lost instead of affirming what we say we believe that God is a sovereign God who is bringing all things to the fitting and prophesied conclusion and yet we are terrified, we are scared to death and the Lord would say, back up, bucko, and wait and think just a little bit about what you're saying and how insulting that is to God. And we pray, oh God, if there's any way you can muster it, please, please bless us as if there's anything too hard for God, as if there's anything outside of his control. And so the Lord can raise up a president of the United States and just like that, he can take them down. The Lord can raise up a nation like our nation 
or Israel or any other nation, and he can take them down any time that he wants to. The Lord is not afraid of communist China. The Lord is not afraid of North Korean nukes. The Lord is not afraid of Islamic terrorists. None of those things can thwart his will or his cause. In fact, they become unwilling servants of the Most High God. And so that's why you've heard it said here before for years. It's getting dark, but it's gloriously dark. And we are the lights that shine in the darkness. And our light shines brightest in the darkness if we have the fruit of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord, and if we have confidence and we walk by faith instead of walking by sight. Now, if you listen to too many radio talk shows, you'll start walking by sight and you'll be depressed. If you start looking around at people around you and wondering, where are they and what are they doing? And you judge how you're going to live by the faithfulness of others, it won't take long before you'll be walking by sight instead of walking by faith. And so this psalmist would rebuke us in this time in which we live, and he would say, have you looked outside lately? Have you taken a whiff of what is in the world? And those who are godly, we look outside and we say, oh, oh my, oh my, that's, that's not lining up with the word of God. And we take a good sniff out there and, oh, P-U, that is horrible. And we look around and we see the world with a different attitude and we look around at the world and then we look up to God and we see someone who is completely different. And so these verses show us the contrast between what the psalmist calls the tents of wickedness and being in the house of God even as a lowly doorkeeper. And so when he talks about all of this, Maybe he would remind us, what do you see when you look out in the world? What do you see? What does the world glorify? What does the world prize? Well, it sure seems like whenever you watch a television show or a movie or hear people talk or listen to music, I would put adultery way up there at the top of the list. These are in no particular order. But the world looks around and they say, why would you want to stay married to one person and be monogamous? Will Smith, the fresh prince of Bel Air and Men in Black and all of that, I just recently read about him and his wife, that they have what they call a quote-unquote open marriage. You know what that means? They can sleep with anybody they want to and still be married. Apparently, it's not working out quite as well for Will as it is for his wife. Now, before we sit and look smugly and all of that, just stop with a little compassion and go, it sounded so good at first. We'll just be married, but we're not going to be monogamous. Now it's starting to hurt. Now it's starting to take its toll. And what in the world must it be doing to their children? Let that sink in and have a little bit of compassion. We look around at the world and we see that they prize drunkenness. You know, drink any time you want because it's 5 o'clock somewhere. People living for the weekend. 
talking about everything they're going to do. I worked at a place one time where the major topic of conversation is how drunk they were going to get on the weekend. And on Monday morning, they came back in and said, yeah, man, I had a great weekend. And there they were with a headache, hungover, and they couldn't remember anything that they did. Had a college roommate that would talk about how much fun he had growing up because they'd go down by the lake and they would have a keg of beer. And then he talked about all the fights that they got in and all the times where they hurt each other and all of the things that happened like that. Sounded fun to me. You think about how this world is actually showing how miserable they really are by the way they abuse drugs and the way they abuse alcohol. Because they're not happy. And in this age where you can be any gender you want to be, have any kind of an operation to change your physical body if you want to, to be a different gender, and yet the suicide rate among homosexuals and among the transgender people is going through the roof. And young people, young people, those who are 20-ish or so and younger, I just heard today that the rate of attempted suicide among that group of people is higher than it's been in the history of our nation. They don't have anything to live for because the world with all of its bright lights has said, this is the reason to live. And unfortunately, the church has kind of said, yeah, I wish we could do that. And then we wonder why we're losing our children. They don't really see any difference. And if we're enamored by the bright lights of the world, they're really going to be enamored by the the bright lights of the world, and no wonder they're so unhappy. And they think that if they can just be free from rules and regulations and be whatever they want, and it's the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden when the serpent talked to Eve. Hey, go ahead and eat it. You won't die. You'll be as gods, knowing good from evil. And so she ate, and Adam ate, and what happened? Everything went south in a hurry, didn't it? We think about how many times I'm getting so tired of seeing casino advertisements on TV. Woo! Come out here to ours. I win every time I come. Then why are the casinos getting bigger and bigger and bigger if they're just giving away money? They're not, they're not giving. They're taking. And they're gaining a whole lot more. And people go in there with the promise of coming out rich. And it ain't working for most of them. It's not working for most of them. And so what's promised doesn't deliver. That's just a picture of the entire thing that's out there in the world. They promise freedom, but they don't really give it. They give slavery. And we look around and we see politicians today that say, we want to preserve our democracy. And how are they doing it? By putting more government regulations on us, by raising our taxes, by weaponizing the IRS and all of that that kind of stuff that's going on. That's not freedom, folks. They promise, but they can't deliver. We've got to quit envying them. That's why the Bible tells us, don't fret because of evildoers in Psalm 37. And then there's another place where the psalmist tells us, don't be envious of evildoers. And yet we find ourselves doing that. And apparently that's been going on a long, long time, or they wouldn't have mentioned it way back in that ancient book of the Psalms. We tend to look at them as they're having all the fun. They've got the gusto. They've got it all together. They've got freedom. They're really happy. But watch how their lives end up. Watch them 
when they die. Watch them when life doesn't pan out. Watch them when they've gone to Hollywood and everything seems to be going their direction. Now watch them a few years later when they can't get apart. Watch the person who goes on to the show like American Idol or The Voice or something and they've got the recording contract and all the confetti is falling. Everything's great. Watch them later when they can't keep a marriage together. Watch them later when they can't kick a drug habit. Watch them later when they spent all of their money. Watch them later when nobody wants them anymore because it happens to everybody. Everybody falls out of favor. Actors and actresses can't get parts anymore. Musicians can't record a hit song anymore. Why? Because all of that stuff, as the Bible tells us in the New Testament, is passing away. I kind of grieve when I see some of that stuff because I know their life is most likely going to hit the skids. There's a better way. And we act like our way is inferior. We act like our way is substandard to everything else. And we need to get over that because the world promises and the world can't deliver. Think about the person who embezzles from their company or even maybe a church. Think about those people who initially when they take that money, what do they do? They buy a new car, they buy a new wardrobe, they take a cruise. Oh, this is so much fun. But look at that same person when they're caught. And look at that same person with the shame that they have. And I think it's interesting when you see some of these criminals that are big and bad and they are bold and arrogant until they get caught. Then they're covering their faces when they do the perp walk and the media is watching them and they cover up their faces in shame. That's a euphemism for the world. They promise something that they can't deliver and what they promise turns into shame and guilt and remorse, all of that kind of stuff. Think about for years now, decades now, all we've heard is we need to give homosexuals the rights to be like everybody else. And what happens when that comes around? Now they're going through divorces. So on top of the unhappiness they had before, now they've got the unhappiness that we have, the unhappiness of divorce. And they call it gay. It's not gay. We think about AIDS. We think about all of the different things that they have to suffer through. We think about the broken relationships with their families. We think about all of those kind of things. That's not what the world told them that it was going to be. You can be yourself. You can be whatever you want to be and nobody has a right to tell you any different. And here we are trying to tell them it's sin and yet it is a forgivable sin if you will come to the cross and trust in Jesus Christ. The Corinthians found that out. Paul said, such were some of you. And that's what we need to be thinking about. Our God is a God who is able to save to the uttermost and save anyone, anytime, anywhere. Think about materialism. We live in a culture that says, if I only had more, I can't be content with what I have because there's more and there's better and I've got to spend more money and I've got to do more on all of this stuff and I've got to have more and I've got to have the latest and I've got to have the best and I've got to make it cool. Dave Ramsey said you spend tens of thousands of dollars to have a car that impresses somebody for five seconds at a stoplight that you'll never see again. Who cares? Who cares? And yet we'll sell our soul for those kind of things. 
And we'll give our life and give our money to those things that are passing away instead of investing it in the work of the Lord or in truly helping people. And I'm not against, I, I hope God makes you a multimillionaire. Enjoy it. But don't put your faith and your trust in it. And don't think that it's going to make you happy because the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. If you take the money away, the abortion industry would dry up tomorrow. If you take the money away, so many of these things that are a problem in our nation would go away. The drug trade, sex trafficking, all of those kind of things that we can't get a hold of. Why? Because they're profitable. And people love money, and that's why they go into all of those things, and that's why they break laws, that's why they hurt people, that's why they do that. It's called materialism, and we are looking at the wrong thing. The American dream needs to be sacrificed before the Lord, and we need to bow and kneel before the cross and say our lives belong to you, and we are stewards of everything that you've given us, and we need to use our freedom, our constitutional rights, and even our prosperity for the glory of of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called stewardship. And I think about how people hunger for fame and they say, I want fame, I want fame. And think about some of the people that you know. And this goes way, 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 way back. Hollywood has always been corrupt. And when you think about people back in the 30s and the 40s who sold their souls, and sometimes there were actresses, starlets, who even gave their bodies in order to get ahead. And what did it get them? How did they end up? Think about the regrets that they have and think about the pitiful way that most of them die and the legacy that they leave behind and we don't even remember who they are today. I'll promise you there's not a person in here who can remember who won the Academy Award in 1950. And some of you were alive then. Why? It's fleeting. It goes by so fast. There's always a new kid in town. There's always a Johnny come lately. There's always somebody that can take your place. I don't care who it is. We can't even name all of our presidents. And what have there been, only 46 of them? Millard Fillmore, poor guy. James Buchanan, poor guy. I mean, who, who in the world were those people? Well, they were the most powerful person in the country at one time. Think about how it must be to be elected president in one cycle and you think, man, all these millions of people voted for me only to go out the next. You talk about feeling rejection, feeling cheated, feeling betrayed. Man, it must be tough. Well, that's all the world can ever offer you. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. The tents of the wicked, oh, they're big. They're shiny. They are alluring. They have things going on inside of them that, boy, that sounds fun. And they sound a little happier than we sounded when we were at the temple. Man, I wonder what's going on in there. And we poke our nose in it, and then we look at that, and we say, oh, if only we could make worship at the temple. Now think about this in ancient Israel's life. Let's make the worship of the temple like what's going on in the tents of wickedness. Man, there'd be fire falling from heaven, wouldn't there? There'd be things that would really be going wrong if God dealt with them the way that uh, 
we read about in the scripture for those kind of things. You just didn't do it. I mean, Ahab and Nabihu, Aaron's sons, all they did was offer strange fire on the Holy of Holies. That wasn't their job. That was Aaron's job, and God killed them for it. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about the money that they were given to the church, and God executed them for it. I mean, think about those kind of things. And I wonder if he did that today, how many churches would still exist? How many of us would still exist? I mean, it's a scary thing to think about that. And so the psalmist compares all of that, and it's not because it was the temple. Okay, now let's get that in our mind. When the psalmist talks about serving God and being a doorkeeper, it's never about the magnificence of the temple. He doesn't even really mention that much here, does he? He doesn't say because it's a cushy job. He doesn't say because I'm around nice people. He doesn't say because it's something that pays well. It's a doorkeeper for crying out loud. Everything that he tells us when we get down to uh, verse 11 is that he talks about God. He talks about God. And whatever is out there in the world, when you compare it to you, yeah, it seems better. When you compare it to whatever program we can put on, we'll, we'll never be able to put on a Hollywood production here at Christmas or any other time. You do that, you're going to be depressed. But then when you think about what he goes on to say, and he says, number one, it's better because of who God is. When you look and you see everything that's going on in the world, and you realize who's behind it, and you realize the traps, the tricks, and the lies, but you've got to go even further than that. What is the purpose of everything going on in the world today that the devil has his hands on? It's to overthrow God, it's to trip up God's people, and it's his attempt to take as many people to hell with him for eternity as he possibly can. It's his attempt to try to overthrow the sovereignty of God. He constantly fights against the will and the plan and the purpose of God. He constantly is going after the people of God. He constantly is trying to get something to happen so he can say, there, you didn't keep your word. I'll sit on the throne now. Now, that's never going to happen. But he's going to keep on trying as long as he can. I mean, he doesn't have anything else. The demons of hell have nothing else. Jesus Christ, when he confronted a demon-possessed person, they begin to say, what do we have to do with you? Are you coming to torment us now? They know what their fate is better than we do. And they dread it. And they shudder at the thought of it. And so they are trying everything they can to find some chink in God's armor, to find some way to overthrow him. And they intimidate us, they harass us, but don't forget, folks, they also tempt us. And they'll dangle shiny things in front of us. And, oh, wouldn't it be nice if you had this or if you did this? They'll convince you that your time with God is a waste. 
They'll convince you you've got better things to do than to read his word. You've got better things to do than to pray. You've got better things to do than to go to church. And if you persist in those things, they'll tell you, oh, you ought to be really proud of the fact that you go to church on Wednesday night when so many people don't. You ought to be proud of the fact that you read your Bible every day when so many people don't. You ought to be proud of the fact that you would honor God and uh, bless him with your prayers when so many people don't. And then what happens? Everything we do is negated because it's wiped out by pride. So they're attacking, and they're working, and they're spotlighting what they do. And boy, they can make it sound appealing. The book of 1 John says there's only three things in the world. Lust of the eyes. Well, they make sure everything is good to look at, don't they? The lust of the flesh. Boy, they will appeal to your flesh, and you will be tempted by things that you go, where in the world did that come from, and why would I even be interested in it? But better people than you and me have fallen in the past, right? And the pride of life. And they will attempt to tell you that you are something and somebody because of what you do and in comparison to other people. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there are six things that God hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And the very first thing he says, the top of the list, is something we're all guilty of, and that is a proud look. We've got to get our eyes on God. We've got to understand who he is. And we don't come to worship here at our church because of me or my oratory skills, which are little to none. We don't come here because the music is as good as something that they can have at the arena or the casino or the rock concert or the country western uh, grand old Opry or something like that. We don't even pretend to be able to do that because that's not our purpose. Our purpose here is because we have a great and glorious God that the world doesn't even know and he outshines anything in the world and he is better than anything that the world could offer us. And we need to be praising him and we need to be confident in him. Notice what it says in verse 11. Who is God? He is a son and he is a shield. Now obviously those are comparative things. But why would he say God is a son? Because he gives light. You think about all of the things that the world, they're doing everything they can in the dark. Paul even said, you get drunk in the dark, you sleep in the dark, but we are not of the darkness, we are of the light. Let the light shine. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You don't put your light under a bushel, you let it shine. We are salt and we are light. We are in this world living for such a time as this by the plan and the predetermined purpose of God. Don't just sit around and stumble and fumble around and don't be jealous of anything that they have. You have God. He enlightened you. His word is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. All of the metaphors that come up about God, they have to do with light. They're stumbling in the darkness. We're walking in the light. They don't know what they're going to run into. We know. And we're warned. And we're armed. And we are ready. And that's why the enemy considers you to be a dangerous person in this world. That's why they fear your prayers. 
That's why they feared you getting to know God through his word. It's more than just learning doctrine, as important as that is. It's getting to know God. That's what really matters. And as you study your theology, as you learn your doctrine, go further than that and see God in all of that. His power, his grace, his glory, his love, his mercy, his wrath, his sovereignty. All of those kind of things are what we need to see so that we can proclaim those things to the world. He's a son. And think about what plants have to have in order to grow. They need sunlight. And think about how God is the life giver to all of us. He's the one that gave you spiritual life. He's the one that fills your life. He's the one that gives you hope. He's the one that gives you peace. He's the one that gives you joy. Think about it. The world saps it out of you. They take it away from you. They, as we said before, promise and they can't deliver. They'll leave you as a dried up shell laying over on the curb and they will kick you and push you aside, laughing at you because you're out of the way and you thought they were your friends. You thought they were going to deliver. But God doesn't do that. He's like a son. And he is light-giving and he is life-giving to his people. Grow in the grace and knowledge of God. He's also a shield. Remember we talked about just a few verses earlier when the psalmist said that there was a shield in the temple? What was that? The king. The one who had the shield with the emblem on it. The one who could only carry that along. It's like if I were in front of this pulpit, if I hung a sign with the emblem that said the President of the United States, I'd be a fraud. And I'd probably get a visit from the Secret Service, wouldn't I? I don't have the right to do that. And the shield was the same way. The psalmist is talking about that shield that is emblazoned with the uh, signet of the king. And that's our God. No matter what we see in the world, we see greater in him because he is a king. He's our defender. He's our protector. He is our shield. He is the one that we run to when we're under attack. He is the one that can withstand all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. We can't do that in our own strength. That's why the Bible even tells us to take up a shield. And what kind of shield is it? It's the shield of faith. Literally, every time we're tempted, we have a choice. Are we going to believe the tempter or are we going to believe God and what he has revealed through his word? And when we believe God and what he has revealed through his word, the enemy's fiery darts are quenched. Why? Because our God rules. Our God reigns. And you put all of the powers together of the demons of hell and every wicked person on the earth and let them scheme and let them plot And eventually they will run out of power, but our God never does because everything about him is infinite. Everything about him is inexhaustible. And so we live in that. He's a sun and a shield. Why do we worship God? Because of who God is. He is our king. Secondly, we worship God because of what God gives. You know, when you think about the world sucking the life out of you, lying to you, stressing you out, killing you, destroying your health and everything like that. Think about that and think about what God does. God gives. For God so loved the world, he what? Gave. He's a giver. He made everything to give. 
You think about how the sun gives. You think about how the earth gives. Plants give. Trees give. Think about all of the things that he has created on this earth. And think about what they give us. We live because of them and we're sustained because of them. And they all are a reflection of our God who gives to us. The Lord, it says, will give grace. That's unmerited, undeserved favor. Boy, I need that because I never deserve the favor of God. You never deserve the favor of God. It's always by grace, whether we're at our best or whether we're at our worst. Oh, I'm so unworthy. Yeah, you're right. And you always have been and you always will be in yourself and in your own strength. That's why it's good to know God is a God of grace. He gives unmerited favor to sinners like us. Somebody say amen to that. That's our only hope. He also, it says here, he gives glory. What does that mean? Well, here we were dead in trespasses and sins. Rotten, smelly, like a corpse. And now God has taken us and he has exalted us to be children of the king. Mm. He has taken people like us, filled with sin, inadequate, and people that fall short of the glory of God. And what has he done? He's not only made us alive, but he has seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has taken people like us out of king, the kingdom of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of light. He has taken us and prepared a place with him in heaven where we can dwell forever. I wonder what that's like. I've seen some beautiful, beautiful buildings here on earth that were built by imperfect, sinful people. I wonder what a mansion looks like that is built by a perfect God. That's what's prepared for you. You're going to be living in a city one day where the gold that everybody goes to war for, that people ruin their health over down here, that they hoard and they keep in safes, it's going to be nothing but pavement up there. And it's going to be a beautiful paving job, isn't it? Even if you could take your gold watch and your gold necklaces and your gold rings and your gold pieces and you brought them up somehow and you said to Peter if he is indeed at the gates, look what I brought, look what I brought. The angel of maintenance would come. I'm glad you brought that. We've got a few potholes we need to fill in here, right? The value system of God is so, so different because he gives grace, yes, but he gives glory. Those to whom he is gracious, he raises up. And you're far better than you ever thought you could be. You're far better than you ever had the potential to be before Christ came into your life. And one of these days, you're going to rule and reign with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you're going to walk on streets of gold. And it is going to be an amazing thing. Why? Because what does God give us? He gives us grace. And he gives us Glory, we are exalted in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's kind to those who deserve his wrath. And he gives exaltation to those who ought to be thrown into the depths of hell. But instead, he brings us out and we have a tremendous future ahead of us. And a God who walks with us through these times and through this sinful world. Protecting us and providing for all of our needs 
And that's why he says so many times, fear not, fear not, for I am with you. That's why we're content with what we have, the writer of Hebrews says, because the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. And he's going to provide everything that you need. The world threatens to take it away. God says, don't worry about what they say. I'll provide all of your needs according to my riches in glory. Whatever the stock market may do, you've got God. Whatever the economy may do, you've got God. Whatever the supply lines might do and whatever the shortages might be, don't worry, you've got God. He is a giving God. Thirdly, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God and serve Him there because of God's loving kindness. Look at this. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. All I have to do is serve Him. All I have to do is honor Him. And He won't hold, withhold anything that I need or anything that would be good. Because let's be honest, God gives us a whole lot more than we need. You know, if you were on a prison diet, especially in the old days, you'd get bread and water. Well, you can live on that for a while at least. And God doesn't just give us bread and water. Think about all of the things that He has given us. All of the ways that He has blessed us. Think about all of the stuff that we have that we go through a closet and go, Oh, I forgot about this. Let's put this in a garage sale. What does that mean? We've got more stuff than we need. Is that sinful? Not necessarily. God blessed us. God blessed us. And here's the promise. Whenever you find a hole in your life, I need this. Well, pray about it. Ask him for it. And here's the thing. If he doesn't give it, it's not necessary. If he doesn't give it, it's not required. But he will give you everything you need and more to do what he wants you to do on earth. So quit complaining about what you don't have and be thankful for what you do have and be a good steward of what you do have because the Bible says very clearly you got to be faithful in little things before he'll make you faithful over much. Single people read that and they go, Oh, Lord, I need a spouse. Then they get married and they're more miserable than they were single. Now they're stuck now they've made vows they can't get out of. Now they have children they have to take care of. And they're miserable. Folks, we need to get to where we trust God. That if He doesn't give it, we don't scratch and claw and manipulate to try to get it. Because He knows best. Some of you may remember an old TV show and before that on radio. And it was called Father Knows best some of you know that when are we ever going to realize our father does indeed know best he knows our past he knows our present and he knows our future he knows where we're going to be and some of the things that we are so worried and uptight about god the father may be saying don't worry about that you're not going to live long enough to need it he may be saying don't worry about that Jesus is coming back to take you out of all of this before you're ever going to have a chance for it. Just rest in me and obey me now and quit worrying and fretting all of that because not all things are good. Now the devil said to Eve, eat this, it's good. God said, don't eat it. Why? Because he doesn't withhold good things from his children. 
And what Eve thought she had to have at that particular moment and couldn't live without turned out to be the worst thing that ever happened, right? Because God doesn't withhold what is good to those who walk uprightly. And there's the key. If he doesn't give it, he doesn't require it. And so his commands are given with his enablement and the thing, that the things that are good might not be withheld from us and we should be thankful for everything that we have. We reap what we sow. And so if we would sow in God's field and eat what he gives us and be content with what he puts in our lives, then we wouldn't have so much misery that comes along with us. I'm hurrying. I know I'm going longer. Number four, why is it better to be a doorkeeper and to serve God? Here it is. Because God only is the source of blessing. The devil doesn't bless you. Demons don't bless you. The world doesn't bless you. Sin doesn't bless you. There's only one source of blessing. And why is it that when we get under stress, I'm so stressed, I'm so tired, I'm so burdened, I couldn't possibly go to church tonight? Eh, wrong answer. Right? That's when you need to run to God. Well, I don't feel like praying. I've got so much on my mind. Oh, how could I possibly pray? Wrong answer. That's the time you need to pray. And yet we think that maybe if I could take a break, you deserve a... Yeah, the McDonald's theme. You deserve a break. It's about that time that God might say, no, you don't. Put your helmet on, pick up your sword and your shield, and get back out there. You're about to win. What if OU playing Texas this weekend, right? And what if they are just about to win? And let's say that Texas is ahead by one point, And all OU needs to do is get within field goal range, and they could win the Red River rivalry. And what is Spencer Rattler sitting on the sideline? And Lincoln Riley says, hey, we're on offense. What are you doing? Oh, I deserve a break. What do you think would happen? And yet, we think we need a break. What if our soldiers are out there fighting? And just about the time they're about to push through the enemy lines and conquer... One of the leaders says, oh, I'm tired. I need a break. What would happen? What would happen? And yet the people of God, so often we're taking a nap. We're taking a snooze. We've got our armor off. That's why Paul says, put it all on the whole armor of God. You need the belt. You need the breastplate. You need the shoes. You need the helmet. You need the shield, and you need the sword. Why? Because the Christian life is not defined as a life of ease or comfort or coasting. It's warfare. And warfare is not a ritual that you do at certain times. Okay, I've done my warfare, now I go through the rest of the day. No, your day is the warfare. Your life is the warfare. You are in warfare constantly, whether you know it or not. 
That's why you put on the armor of God. That's why you stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's why you have to stand against the trickery of the devil. Read Ephesians chapter 6 sometime. Life is the warfare. Every day is the warfare. Parenting is your warfare. Being married is your warfare. Going to school, your warfare. Being at work is your warfare. You don't have time off. You always have your armor on. And if you want to be blessed, you don't look to any of the things around you or any of the things within you or any of the people that you know or love. You don't look to millionaires. You don't look to billionaires. You don't look to famous people. You don't look to bosses. You don't look to anybody like that. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's where the source of blessing is. He's the only blessed one. O Lord of hosts, this powerful God who commands angelic armies. That's the host. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. We've got to walk by faith. We've got to look to God. And everything you look and you see in magazines on Facebook or Instagram. Oh, if only I had that, I could be so happy. Be careful. That's a temptation. And you're looking to the wrong place. You're looking to the wrong person. Why is the suicide rate so high right now? I think because social media parades in front of us all of our inadequacies, everything that we don't have. It makes us jealous and... <clears throat> covetous for what other people have, what they're doing, what they experience. And Paul said covetousness is idolatry. Oh God, why aren't you blessing me? Because we're not looking to Him. We're not honoring Him. And we're not trusting in Him. So if you believe all of these things, then you can look nowhere else. Living for God's glory then won't be a problem because you know that as you do that, He's going to bless you, care for you, enrich you, exalt you. All of those things He'll provide for you. You live for God's glory. If you really believe this, then decisions are easier to make. There are a whole lot of things that you just go, nope, that doesn't fit in the plan of glorifying God. That's a distraction. Get away. When you are living like this and believing this, then it's easier to have compassion for the lost. You could look at the richest person in the world, the most famous person in the world, and deep in your heart, you'd be thinking, poor person, poor guy. That's sad, isn't it? The world says, you've got it made. This is everything you want. And we look and we say, hmm. You have no idea how much this is going to cost you. You have no idea where you're headed. And we could actually have compassion on those people. Listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I do not like the policies of our current president. Okay? I have a different political philosophy. And yet he's the most powerful man in the world. And I, a guy he's never heard of and doesn't even care I don't have any power. I don't have any influence. 
And yet here I am, standing in this church pulpit today, and I feel sorry for Joseph R. Biden. I feel sorry for him. Why? Because he's wrong in his politics? Well, yeah, a little bit. But mainly because he's lost without Christ. And I pray every day for him and his family, and for Kamala Harris and her family, for senators and people in Congress, for governors, state legislators. I pray for judges, whether they're on the Supreme Court or local. I pray for law enforcement. I pray for school boards. I pray for mayors. I pray for city councilmen. And I do pray that God would block bad legislation and that he would favor good legislation. But that's immaterial when it's all said and done. Most of all, I pray for them to be saved and to know Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? It's not worth a Facebook blast on something. That's not going to change anything. Hey, folks, nobody cares what you post. They might get mad for a little while, but you've made hundreds of posts that they don't even remember now. Why? You and I are not that important, and that's not really where our power is. We've got to be on our knees. As I said Sunday morning, that altar of incense is Christ. And He's praying for us. We need to join Him in praying for other people and have compassion for the lost. If we really thought about God like we saw in this psalm, then consistency would be guaranteed in our lives. The Lord is a sun and a shield. He gives grace and He gives glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed are those who trust in You. Think about that. Measure your life by that. And walk in the victory that Christ died to give you. Because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Well, it's been a long time since I preached almost an hour. But it was worth it. Well, I didn't like it. Sorry. Someone told the preacher one time, your sermon rubbed me the wrong way. I like what he said. He said, turn around. Turn around. May we pray? Oh, Father, as we think about this time that we have spent here I could thank you for a lot of things thank you for the listening of people that are here thank you that they're even here I could thank you Lord that with what I've been through lately I actually had energy to do this tonight not looking for a chair not looking to cut things off not feeling so weak that I better quit or I'm going down. I thank you for that, Lord. But Lord, I want to go past all of that to say thank you for who you are. Thank you for your divine plan and your sovereignty and your power. And thank you that you have given us the privilege of being on the right side of that. Because you're no less sovereign to the lost world. Except they're going to get a taste of your sovereign wrath. 
we get a taste of your sovereign glory. And we thank you, Lord, because if we would just stop and think, everything that is in verse 11 and 12 has already been given to us tonight to some degree. And we're so busy looking at what the world has and being jealous of them, we don't realize what we've got. Forgive us and cleanse us and guide us into truth and remind us that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To God be the glory. Help our people. Help the ones who are sick. Help the ones who are struggling. Help the ones who were tripped up by sin. Help the ones who have been tempted and they followed the temptation. Help them, Lord. Help them. And help us to help them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.